Thank you for listening to the Ian Baker Leadership Podcast. My name is Ian Baker and I'm the owner and principal coach at Ian Baker Consultancy. Here at IBC, we serve leaders who want to execute their A-game. We work either on one-to-one or one-to-many and we use proven techniques to help deliver measurable results. The purpose of these podcasts are to inspire and guide all those leaders with that execution. And I'm very fortunate to have invited some amazing leaders to talk to over the next few weeks and months. So grab a drink, get yourself comfortable, and I hope you find the recording both fun and informative. What I'd like to do today is introduce you to an old friend of mine and an amazing leader who's been very kind enough to join me today. Daniel Brown, welcome. Thank you for joining me. If you'd like to just give yourself a bit of an introduction and and tell us all about yourself. invite and uh you know hopefully looking forward to a really good conversation so yeah my my background is uh i'm currently the general manager of a company called starter which is uh, in the united states it's a start as a german pharmaceutical specialty and consumer health business uh so i've been in this role just over kind of two and a half years now with really the focus on building out the US operations from from scratch, which we can probably jump into in terms of how that impacts leadership and thoughts around there. Prior to that, I spent 13 years at a company called Reckit, so which is obviously where we met, and before that, for Boots and Coca-Cola. So I started my career very much driving a little red van around the southeast of England, filling refrigerators full of cans of Coke and, and other such drinks. So uh, that was a great summer a long time ago. But uh, yeah, so it kind of started right at the bottom of the uh, food chain as far as consumer goods go. And I've spent my whole career in the consumer goods or consumer healthcare space, uh, working across a number of different categories, working across a number of different countries. So I've lived and worked in the UK, Ireland and and the US. I've spent eight of the last 11 years uh, living and working in the United States. Um, And I also worked on multiple projects uh, throughout probably 15 or 20 different countries, Russia, Middle East, Canada number of different European countries. Been a, uh, what feels like a long ride now, but a very enjoyable ride, um, highs and lows along the way. So, yeah, excited to share some of my uh, lessons and learnings um, and maybe provide some uh, things to do and not to do for aspiring leaders out there. Well, that's that's the whole goal. So thank you, Dan. feels like a million years ago. I think it was 2005 when I first, I say first, but stepped foot through the doors of Crooks Healthcare, which is probably the place where we uh, first first met and, and started on that journey of, well, you were account management and, and so was I. So we, our first foray, well, my first foray into sales and, and you guys were already there. So great background. I love the little red van story, the fact that you were filling fridges with Coca-Cola. I, I think uh, Coca-Cola now are, are back to filling fridges and not so much filling pumps at the moment from what I can hear with the, uh, the lockdown. One thing I'm really interested in is you've worked in all these different countries, Dan, and you've you've obviously you've you've managed lots of projects across various other countries as well. I suppose just from an anecdotal point of view, how have you seen managers and leaders operate in those different countries? And and is there a cultural difference or is leadership leadership? I think the fundamental basics of leadership translate anywhere in the world, but there is the biggest thing is the cultural understanding. And I think when I, so a couple of small things, right, which are probably not so much about leadership, but just more so about culture and then how leaders need to be 
mindful of that is. So I first moved to the US in 2011. And I thought the hardest thing to kind of assimilate to would just be kind of the ways of just the ways of living, right? I've moved from, you know, Windsor in the UK. I was then living in Manhattan in New York. And and I thought, oh yeah, well, you know, there's some cultural similarities and that all makes sense. And, you know, the special relationship between the UK and the US. And the hardest thing that was I didn't expect was actually the language barrier. And I was at a meeting with Walmart. I'd probably been in the US for two months. And I think obviously talk, and so I'm down in Arkansas and I am introducing myself to the buyer. And I just say, hi, I'm Dan Brown. It took me four goes for her to understand that I was saying, hi, my name is Dan Brown. And she just looked at me and super nice, you know, slightly older lady than me. She just went, son, this is the South. You have to slow down. And uh, it was just little things like that, that I'm just like, you know, these are things that, that are just little nuggets that we just need to be mindful, especially when you've had an international career. And uh, similarly, when I first moved to I, so I moved to Ireland in then 2014 to run the record business there. And, you know, there'd been a number of challenges within that business. And I, and I just had to be mindful. And I thought, again, very naively, right. And at that point, I'm in my kind of mid late thirties. So, you know, I've been around a little bit by that point. And naively, I thought, well, you know, it's Ireland. I've been to Ireland multiple times on golf trips or stag weekends or whatever it might be. And there's obviously a lot of a lot of Irish people in the UK and a lot of British people in Ireland. And, you know, well, it's as close to home as you can get without being at home. And and again, culturally couldn't have been to some extent more wrong about that. And, you know, thankfully, I would like to think I'm self-aware enough to kind of see these things coming. And, you know, a couple of people just gave me some little pointers. But, yeah, just the whilst those leadership traits or behaviors are probably can be very consistent you just have to understand the nuances of kind of local cultures and behaviors because what can pass in the uk in terms of the words you can use or the language you can use or some of the behaviors you can demonstrate just won't fly in a number of other places very useful very very key to know i think dan cultural respect really important I, I I ran a medical devices business and we had an office in the UK. We had an office in, in Hong Kong, Kowloon. And there again, just apart from the language barrier, because I had no, no understanding of Cantonese whatsoever, but just the, the cultural respect, the way that people do things differently. And I suppose as demonstrated by this conversation now is, is we're familiar with each other. We probably speak at a pace that, you know, as you pointed out with the Walmart lady, you know, it's slowing down, stopping and thinking about what it is that you're saying are, are probably the key traits of, of leadership is stopping, taking a bit of time, think about what you're going to say and say it as coherently yeah. as, as you would love to. So yeah. based on all these years experience, Dan, how would you, how would you describe yourself and your leadership style? Yeah, I think I do this thing when I interview people where, and not 100% of the time, but I ask a question that says, if you were my leader, why would I follow you? And I do that for two reasons. And there's no right or wrong answer to the question, right? Because every leader is going to have a different style. But I'm just interested to see what that individual thinks about leadership and how they think about what that means to them and what that means to potentially the people around them. 
So that's kind of the first reason I ask it. The second reason I ask it is to see if the, the person I'm interviewing asks it me back. Because if I'm interviewing them to be their boss, I want to know that they want to know what my leadership style is like. And, and so I always answer it of, I see my role as a leader to create an environment or an atmosphere where the team that is either around me or working under me feels that they have everything they need and a space to work in where they can go out and give their absolute best without a fear of failure or a fear of they can't give bad news or the fear of that they're not going to be protected. So I feel like my role as a leader and the style that I have is to create an umbrella. So to give a little bit of protection to the team, to be that barrier so that they can work not quite in a bubble, but in an environment that they just feel super comfortable being in, which means they can perform at their best. So I think that would be like kind of my macro perspective on what I think my leadership style is, because if I'm creating that environment, then I'm being transparent, I'm being honest, I'm being straightforward, I'm being respectful, I'm being collaborative, I'm focused on the team. And fundamentally within that, to do all of that, you have to create good habits. And I think um, having those good habits is, I think, critical to uh, to being a good leader. There's there's loads of uh, a really cool list of of attributes that, that you that you rattled off there. Creating a safe environment, completely understand. Um, I just want to go back to the the interview question. I think that's a really fascinating approach. So you've asked somebody if I if you were my leader, why would I follow you? Surely you've got a funny story around that. You must have had some great uh, answers. I can't think of one that springs to mind. I think what I hear a lot is because I want to manage people and I think, you know, I, I've earned the right to manage people. Seems to be, like, obviously the very astute ones give a good answer, right? And, and like I said, there's no right or wrong answer, but the, they, uh, the normal answer is, well, because I'm really good at what I do and people will obviously respect that. And that's fundamentally not a wrong answer, right? There are different types of leaders in sports, right? The ones that lead by example, right? And this person's giving a, hey, I'm a lead by example kind of person. And, and that's great in a lot of situations. So that seems to be the typical stock answer. I, I wish I did have a funny anecdote for you. Um, I just can't think of one. I'll, I'll email you one on the back end of this if I do think of one. But I think it, it, it's a really good conversation starter in in an interview right or towards the end of an interview um just to kind of keep it moving along but i think everyone's just got a different perspective and and the weak answers stand out but equally the great answers stand out and are thought-provoking and, and and kind of i go oh yeah that's a useful kind of nugget that i could use or something i need to think about in, in my leadership style brilliant and of the the other attributes that you listed off there how would you sort of prioritize them after after creating that that sphere of safety as you call it that bubble umbrella what what else for you is is the sort of the core ones that you are most passionate about as, as a behavior that that you like to demonstrate i think transparent transparency and honesty i think is probably the number one thing for me because and it's funny right and as a parent you probably have the same experiences right and it applies to both being a parent sorry and to being a, a business leader is like if I know some if I know there's a problem or an opportunity or something has happened 
I can take care of it in the moment. I can help take care of it, or I can help empower that person to take care of it. But if you kind of hide it and don't tell me, then as a parent, the kid's spilling something on the carpet or the couch, right? Tell me straight away. I can fix it straight away. And I'm not going to be angry. Sit on it for two hours and there's a giant stain now. I'm going to be a little bit more ticked off, right? And same in from a leadership point of view in a, in a business sense, right? Is if there's bad news, there's no need to sit on it, right? Customers are who they are. So yeah, if we didn't get a distribution listing or if, hey, they want to check for a million dollars or pounds just for because for shits and giggles, they want a million pounds. Otherwise, you're going to get delisted or whatever. Or we didn't quite get some of the performance we wanted. Like, that's fine. I can deal with it in the moment. Telling me days or weeks after the fact just doesn't help the team environment, doesn't help us solve whatever challenge might be ahead of us. And, and then obviously creates a, certainly on the business side of things, a position where like, oh, do I really trust this person? Like, I've empowered them to, I've given them the empowerment to go do but they don't feel that they can they they have a relationship with me that they can be honest and open and transparent in the moment when something happens and so then it becomes this like dynamic of do I trust them or not trust them or do they trust me or not trust me and i think that creates an issue within the relationship that you know an example like that can plant a seed that creates issues further down the line i suppose it goes both ways as a leader doesn't it is how transparent you are with with your team as to whether or not they're they're performing as they should or there's things that have happened that are beyond within your control or beyond your control that you need to share with them that may not be the best news in the world yeah and i think the one thing and again i don't always get it right but the one thing i always try and do on a re- fairly regular basis with with anyone in my team over the last 11 12 13 years um since i've really stepped into bigger leadership roles is asking for feedback Am I giving you everything you need right now? Or what more can I do for you? Or how can I help you? Because I, th- because I think the good, I, I personally think, and I could be way off base, right? This is my own little leadership bubble I operate in. But I think, you know, opening yourself up a little bit to your team and say, hey, what, what am I doing good or not so good? So obviously within bigger organizations, right? Structured matrix organizations that we've worked in, there's a review period and a process that goes through two, three times a year. There's some kind of check-in that's formalized or documented or whatever. So in those moments, the what, give me some feedback, tell me, because, you know, the 360 feedback is hugely important because if I'm missing something, especially as I've moved internationally, right? And maybe there's a cultural thing I'm not doing right or something I've just completely missed or something I've said that's ticked someone off, but may have got lost in translation or, you know, just provides a moment for someone to pause and go, hmm, I don't quite get that or I don't understand him. So asking me, asking the team or the individuals within my team for feedback, I think is hugely important. But on the same side, on this other side of that coin, sorry, is when providing some feedback, like use real examples. So I think that's that's super important within that kind of environment to make sure that, that the team has an opportunity to give me feedback because, you know, I'm still learning and growing as a leader as well. Brilliant. Thank you, Dan. Transparency, honesty, it, it all comes under that safe environment thing, doesn't it? Is, mm-hmm. is that, you know, to be able to, to share these things and be able to ask for feedback without fear of, of what people might say. I think that's... That's the key for me. You like I have worked for, for a number of, of great leaders and we've probably worked over our time for some that, that maybe aren't so great. It'd be really useful, maybe give me some examples of where you've experienced great leadership 
Yeah. And 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 what you've taken away from that. Yeah. And what role models, and I suppose a follow-on question from that is what role models have you taken with you? And all our learning experiences, right? And development experiences, which is good. Um so let's start on a couple of the positives. You know, there's obviously a few people that you and I have worked with over the years or cross-functionally worked with over the years. You know, I think my, I think my first leadership role at Reckitt, and when I say leadership, I, I mean in a role when I'm managing people, which is not necessarily purely about leadership, right? Because I think there are different ways you can demonstrate leadership beyond managing people. But I just simply remember feeling like a rabbit in the headlights early 2008. And I was doing an end of year review. So the teams had been restructured and this role had been created and I'd stepped into this role. I'm doing an end of year review for someone who'd only worked for me for like five weeks. So I've gathered feedback on this individual from other people. And this individual was older than me. And uh, I'd never managed people before. I really had no, I'd obviously sat a lot of these PD performance review meetings myself as, as the individual, but never as the person giving the, feed, the review or the feedback. I had no idea what I'm doing. And I had to give, based on all the feedback I'd got and aligned, is I, I had to give a bad review and provide evidence, right? Which was a really shaky ground for me because this person only worked for me for like four, five, six weeks. And so I give this feedback. I felt awful about it because <laughs> I'm like, this person seems nice. I think I'd played golf with this person once or twice in the past as well. Uh, and just for everyone listening, this I'm not talking about Ian here, by the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, and then the individual starts crying. And this person was like 10 plus years, maybe older than me. And I'm like, I have no idea what to do. So, you know, probably my very first leadership lesson is 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 if you've only got four weeks of history with someone, then you're probably the wrong person to do an end of year review. But but, um, but I think, you know, what, and I just remember going to one of the other, you know, now one of my peers, but who was a super experienced individual that you and I both know, who was just a great sounding board, um, very different. I'd never worked for this individual. So they were like an independent kind of sounding board for me. And, and they were really good at helping me kind of just break down like some of, you know, how to structure some of the conversation, how to deliver bad news, not kill with kindness, but like how to deliver bad news in a very professional or empathetic way and lay out, okay, these are the things that we then need to go and do going forward. And, and I've been fortunate throughout my career that I've had lots of different styles of leadership, right? I've had, and if we're using some sporting analogies, I've worked for some Roy Keynes who would like scream and shout, but would run through a brick wall for you and for themselves. And you'd be like, well, if they're prepared to do it, then so should I, right? And I'm not gonna start naming names. So I don't think that's very fair on anyone here, but you know, but you can probably piece together some of these people because these are a lot of record people that you would know. But, and I've also had other, other leaders who are just brilliant on certain things, like just really good on like some tactical things like, hey, understanding and articulating and pulling apart a PL that helps explain it to everyone, right? So helping educate and that's terrible on a number of other things, but really good in those spaces. So, that, but I found that over time, the, I think using the peer network that you have around you who are leaders of other teams, right? So other leaders of people um, have been hugely resourceful because they're going through similar challenges to you. They are, 
they have people and human beings within their team who have ups and downs of life within their team and ups and downs of the business world. So trying to kind of get feedback and insight and perspectives from them say, hey, how do you do this? Or what are you thinking about this? Or I've got this challenge here. Those have been really the most resourceful and valuable kind of role model, kind of role model or mentors um, that have been really valuable. And I think I also had, I did a leadership development course uh, with my team in Ireland where they literally sat in a room and gave me feedback. And it was the most uncomfortable hour of my professional life, right? And it was literally, and the reason it was the most uncomfortable is I was told I couldn't say a single word for an hour, which is actually quite hard for me. <laughs> um, and they're just giving feedback and they're sitting there going, well, can I say this? How do I say this, right? And, and uh, but one thing that the guy who was running the course, who then actually became my kind of uh, leadership coach for a period of time, um, a guy based out actually in Dublin, um, who used to be a record guy a long time ago. You know, he he did this thing that he has this triangle about leadership, and the base of that leadership triangle is, which is obviously the fattest part of the triangle, so therefore the most important part of the leadership question was, and it just literally said relationships, and it's all about those relationships and how you build those relationships. So I think you know, building those kind of peer leader relationships um, have probably been the best guiding path for me and that certainly in my journey you know and then yeah role models whatever I don't know if I have role models personally or professionally but learning from different spaces right as, as a leader so full transparency I'm a, I'm a Manchester United fan and there's a really good Alex Ferguson leadership book which is based on his lectures at Harvard University uh, which is a really good book. There's a really great passage in, there's a JFK biography, um, who I can't remember who wrote it, but um, that is about JFK's leadership throughout the uh, Cuba missile crisis. And, and just like little microcosms that, you know, something that we'd have a shared interest in as well, like Paul McGinley from a Ryder Cup point of view, there's some really good articles and pieces and he's talked about and some podcasts he's done talking about leadership and how he builds those individual relationships with players to make, to empower them to be the best that they can be. And I think, you know, some of those things, you know, because mentors can be people that, you know, but you can also get so much insight from other sources. That was fascinating I, I think that the couple of things that I took away from what you just said there is is that you first and foremost is that you weren't afraid to go and ask for advice and I I've been on a, a few other groups and, and podcasts in the past where this has been the topic of, of conversation which is so often leaders managers business owners feel as though they've got to solve whatever problem themselves because to go and ask for advice appears like it's a sign of weakness or whatever that might be whatever the whatever their feeling is at the time so the first thing I took away from that is that you know good leaders and leaders who aspire to be great leaders aren't afraid to go and ask for advice from peers inside or outside of that network the second thing I took away from that is actually a lot of what you were asking about and a lot of the feedback that you had was all about communication and effective communication and good communication, which, again, I think is a, a key trait of, of great leaders, which is to be able to communicate good and bad things in equal measure with, 
with the right level of empathy and, and authenticity that that is required at, the, at that moment in time and and I think we've all experienced certainly I have the uh, the employee coming into the office and, and sitting there and crying and not quite knowing what to do um, I've, I've had that a few times and I don't know whether that's me or just the environment I work in but uh, so that was really really interesting and and then the final bit was the relationships bit and you you touched upon about building relationships and creating strong relationships can you finish the rest of that triangle off for me you said relationship was at the bottom of it Do you know my office and I, and I couldn't off the top ah. of my head <laughs> sorry <laughs> um well don't worry I'll we'll, we'll come back to that maybe another time but yeah uh, the foundations of relationships I, I think is is huge in all amongst what you said there I'd like to go down a slightly different path and you you said something which which I wrote down here when I was making notes is that there are different ways to show leadership without being a manager Um, and you talked about that what what do you mean by that just can you expand on that a little bit yeah yeah again if I think about people I've interviewed or roles that have come up and you say you know why do you want this job well, because I've been doing X and Y for so many years and I've got all these great skills and they're clearly quite qualified, right? In that scenario. And I want to manage people. Why do you want to manage people? Well, it's a skill I don't have and I think I'd be good at it. What, what do you think? You're, so then I'm like, okay, fine. Not a, not a bad answer, right? What leadership skills do you have? And I think, you know, let's take some sporting analogies right here because probably an easy way. So uh, anyone who might listen to this in the US, we can talk either NFL or for the UK, we can talk about proper football or soccer, as I now have to call it. <laughs> but like, you know, you've got on-field leaders, right? Doesn't necessarily make them the team captain, right? And if I think, you know, and again, I'm aging myself, but that great Man United team of the late 90s, early 2000s, right? Roy Keane was the captain, but Peter Schmeichel was a great leader. Ryan Giggs was a late, great leader. Gary Neville was a great leader. Right. Teddy showing him in that team was a great leader. Right. You've got all of these different like people who, although their role is not you are not the designated leader, they take responsibility for ensuring that the team and the people around them performing to the best of their abilities. Right. They're creating that environment on the field and they're doing it in two ways. Right. They're encouraging their teammates or whatever or their you know, literally taking the ball and running with it, right? So you've got kind of different behaviors and examples. There is a designated leader on the patch because he's wearing an armband, mm-hmm. right? You know, in the US, right, the quarterback is the de facto leader on the field, but he's only on the field half the time because you've got the offense and then the defense, right? So so you need other leaders in these other positions to, you know, cajole and carry the team around them. Just because it doesn't say captain on your sleeve doesn't mean you can't be a leader and demonstrate where you are stepping up to help others. So in a business environment, just because you don't have people reporting under you doesn't mean you can't share advice with cross-functional partners. It can't, doesn't mean if, you know, if you think about where you and I kind of started during our time at Reckitt, like you on one customer and me on another customer, we were peers, right? We had the same similar responsibilities, but you helping me or me helping you is a demonstration of leadership that you are prepared to listen, to be empathetic, to help me and let's say you were helping me empower me to help me go and do something successfully because your advice and guidance, right? You weren't my manager, Mario, but you are demonstrating that you have the ability to show some leadership skills. And I think, you know, people think 
I have to be a people manager to be a leader. And I would fundamentally argue that that's not true. I completely, great analogy. I mean, obviously you mentioned in your list of players for Man United that two of them just happened to come from Nottingham Forest, which is my team. So clearly they were great leaders in a better team before they went to Man United. The Forest in its heyday, we had you know, captains on our pitch, but everybody to, to win two European Cups on the trot. Not that I'm going to keep talking on about football and it was a long time ago, but between two European Cups on the trot, you had to have good leaders on the pitch as well, as well as Brian Clough in charge. Um, really useful, just I thought that was a useful clarity point because I, I genuinely do think that people mistake manager, being a manager with leadership. And they're two very different disciplines. And, and, and you're right, you know, you can express it your leadership qualities without having to have responsibility for people, which I think is really important. Just moving on from, from some of the things that we've, we've, we've talked about, as you've, you've obviously been on leadership courses, you mentioned the one that you, you did in Ireland where you sat uncomfortably for an hour. With regards to, to your development as a leader and, and the roles that you're doing, what, what tools do you use the most? And I don't mean necessarily your, your software and things like that, but sort of tools that you might use as an individual to help people as a leader. Yeah, I, 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 tools is an interesting word, but, I, you know, I think there's a few kind of, I would say, principles that I try to kind of abide by in terms of and then kind of checking myself. Right. And I'll just run through a few of them and we can pick apart as you as you want to go. Right. So I think number one, and this comes back to the honesty and transparency, is like be a human and care, right? As a leader, am I am I being am I just being a good person to this person? Yes. If I'm giving bad feedback or or feedback that's bad, am I doing it in the right way? You know, just just like little things like that, right? And I think it's about having something like that. I've touched on earlier, right? Having these good habits. So you know, I can just run through my grab list, right? Being human and care, having these kind of what I call weekly one-to-ones, or it doesn't have to be weekly, but regular kind of check-in so that you know that that person has dedicated time, that they know they have dedicated time with me, right? We can talk about business stuff up during the week and if things pop up, yeah, great, of course, or we might have a team session. But like those one-to-one interactions that then creates that safe space that we talked about earlier. Talked about asking for feedback and asking me, asking how I can help. And then kind of, you know, I see my role as a leader. So I'm just constantly trying to make sure that my role as a leader is not to do for them. Right. And I think Rez on your previous uh, podcast talked about that, right. Jumping in, I think it was the tree analogy, right. That he talked about jumping in and doing it for them doesn't help. Right. But if I am there to help, like I would say, kick the tires on their plan, right. Is just like, then they feel way more empowered, empowered to do that. Right. And, and understanding is certainly because, you know, majority of my background is in, in sales is also then understanding what my relationship is with the customer. And I think this helps me in terms of like, you know, the, the tools that I have that is this kind of sense check in my head, because, you know, you go to a customer and they like bring the boss in, right? The customer is just going to look to me instead of the person who runs the business and, and because they think I've got a bigger wallet to open. And it happens every time. It's happened for 20 plus years, right? That they look at the person who's more senior thinking they've got all the answers and that they've got the bigger cash pile. And the reality is any team I've ever worked for, I'm there to support the individual who runs your business on a day-to-day basis. And I'm not going to sit in the room and you know contradict them. So I kind of like have this like 
checklist that depending on where I'm at or what the, the individual need is that am I okay, am I doing these things? And am I thinking about these things as kind of the, the, the tools in my toolkit in terms of how am I being an effective leader? Brilliant. So being human, caring, one-to-one check-ins, which I guess is 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 the the adjunct to that. I like the idea of 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 kicking the tires, but not necessarily jumping in. I think that's really important. I know that back in the day, I, I probably speak to a lot of the people that I managed, and and I probably did a lot of jumping in without kicking the tires, or at least using some coaching techniques to to try and find things out before jumping in and that's one of the key learnings I've had in the last 10 years is is the uh is to to not to meddle and then yeah interesting the relationship with customers we both did the gap partnership sort of negotiation classes donkeys years ago and there was always a phrase in there which is don't bring a wolf to the party which was you know if you can avoid bringing the the decision maker do so and you're right. So often I I had it when I used to go out to Asia is that you'd meet with the manufacturers. And if if my boss was with me, they'd speak to him and not to me. But if I was there and he wasn't there, then they'd, they'd be happy to speak to me. So so I suppose the power of, of leadership there is to be able to signal to the people in front of you, the customers, the clients, that the most important person in the room is sat next to you, not not yeah. you. Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting message. And I think um, on that point, Ian, as well, I think, you know, that the most important person in the room kind of comment is very relevant in terms of like the team structure, right? Because the leader shouldn't necessarily be the smartest guy in the room or smartest girl in the room. Apologies. Like you need to build a team around you that has different personalities, different behavioral traits, different skill sets. Because, you know, you might be technically strong at something, but, you know, 11 goalkeepers on a soccer team is not going to win you a game and neither is 11 centre forwards. You need a balance within that team where everyone has different skills and attributes. Um, so, yeah, I think you touch on a really interesting point. Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> it's something that I think as great leaders demonstrate that that vision for fulfilling the gaps that that's that the team needs, not what the leader needs. In, in looking at you as a leader and your role within within Stada, and you know you've two and a half years in, you you talked about having to develop. It's a German company having developed the US from a strategic point of view. You know, leadership can be quite a lonely job as well mm-hmm. as being you know uh, the ability to go from a strategic and vision point of view. How have you found? being a leader for an overseas company in a, not necessarily in a new market, but with a, a very clear strategy that's been fed down to you? Yeah, it, it's been a really interesting journey um, from a leadership perspective, right? The remit was literally, we started with a blank sheet of paper in like late summer of 2019, right? Early, early fall. So starting with a blank sheet of paper, but with some understanding to your point of what the strategic intent of the organization is. And then how do I translate? So there's the cultural thing, right? How do you translate that to a new market for Stada, which happens to be the biggest, if not one of the biggest consumer health markets on the planet. 
So it's a little bit daunting as a leader, right? And and it is a very different leadership journey because to start with, it was just me, right? Started from scratch, blank sheet of paper with some help from, you know, guidance and inputs from people in, in Germany and the UK. And then I was working with a team of external consultants who were helping pull some of this content together or some of the thinking together. So I'm the de facto leader on the ground, but I'm a leader of one, i.e. myself in that scenario, right? But also I'm working with a group of people who are, have some experience in bringing new brands, companies, mark, you know, to, to life in, in the US. So I'm, I'm having to be a leader to them as well. And they don't work for me. And yes, they're obviously being paid. So they're going to, you know, you know, do the, do the work and, and, and what have you. So it was a very interesting journey to evolve, like navigating being a leader of one, how to lead a business into a new market how to lead people to actually work for you. Uh, they're being paid by you, but they don't work for you. Um, and then obviously then as we've built out the team along that journey, you know, finding the right talent for people to plug into, being able to tell the story and paint the picture, right? Because it's not that is completely new, right? We were uh, essentially a startup in, in most essences of the word startup. So yeah, it's been a roller coaster. I think is probably the best way to describe it. Lots of highs and a few lows. Um, there have been a lot of things as a leader that I'm just like, I don't know how to do this, either from a technical point of view, right? Because I'm having to learn all of these different skills and competencies along the way. And therefore it's taking my time away, maybe from my ability to lead the team as effectively as I would like. But coming back to some of my fundamentals of, okay, are we having like this weekly check-in to have the conversations? Are we on the same page, right? Are we aligned that this is the right thing to do? Not necessarily that my way is the right way. So feedback is welcome. And then, but once we align, we might not all agree, but we align that this might be the best thing to do. And we just go and we execute. And I think that journey, you know, has been very different to then having worked in a very big matrix organization where you've got, you know, a huge HR department or a huge marketing or supply or finance department. So it's just been being more agile as a leader, I think, just because of what we're trying to do and the speed we're trying to do it at and with the resources in terms of people resources we're trying to do it with. So, yeah, I wanted to, to touch really on startup because there are the experiences that we have had working in large corporates, be that Boots, Rackets, Unilever, et cetera, et cetera, is that in some respects you are cocooned a little bit. There's a there's an element of safety, you know, that business isn't going to go pop. It's, it, it, it has all the resources it will ever need in order to succeed. Whereas, you know, a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are probably running small operations or just starting out on their, their sort of journeys. And, I was interested to hear what you had to say about, you know, being a leader of one, because the fundamentals don't change is that you still need to have a clarity of purpose. You still need to have a plan. You still need to, to be able to execute that. And you still need to be able to have people on board with you, whether it's one person, two people or a hundred people in order to execute that plan. Yeah. I think the single biggest learning I've had here is cash flow is everything. Um, well, no, but and, that's a, it's a really and, important point. You know, yeah. people people forget that. It, and, it, and it's hard, right? Whether it's your own personal finances, but you know, to your point, right? When you work in a large racket, Unilever, PNG type organization, you never need to think about cash flow. Someone else is thinking about that for you. 
but they don't really need to think about it too much because you've just got huge cash generating billion, multi-billion dollar businesses, multi-billion pound businesses. But smaller, you know, operations, yes, Starter is a, you know, medium-sized organization, you know, multi-billion euro business in Europe and other parts of the world, but low scale revenue, zero when we started revenue, right? So I was just a cost center at that point. I was not a profit center. So cash flow is really important. But I also think, you know, from a from a leadership point of view, though, like just the not wanting to worry the team, but the team understanding that is hugely important. Is an example. I'm just using this as one micro example because I think then everyone's on the same page, and it's like, yeah, can we do this or can we not do this? Okay, what's going to drive that? Okay, are we having this? We're trying to get this supplier to do X. Can we push the payment term a little bit longer because this is when we know we've got cash coming in, and that becomes an important part of the discussion. So I think, you know, just having that transparency with the team, the, you know, it's just the, you know, we built out a team of you know, six people, you know, and we kind of settled, settled there for a while. You know, it's important that whilst they might be functionally responsible for supply or finance or, you know, regulatory and quality or whatever I, ha- I had in terms of the team that I had around me, like understanding some of the nuances of how the business operates and needs to operate rather than just their functional responsibility is important because then we just all felt all the individual parts add up to a greater sum in that scenario, which doesn't necessarily happen in the same way in, in, in a large multinational matrix um, type company. Yeah. Well, thanks for clarifying that. I think it's important that although we talk about leadership a lot and it's, you know, all those great words about, clarity and safety and transparency and honesty they can all get a little bit lost in the heat of of small business moments but the the best leaders and the great leaders always manage to pull it back to purpose plan and having people engaged with that purpose and plan so so yeah really get that we're coming to the end of the podcast and it's flown by what i would be interested to hear from you dan is you know, what would be your your sort of single piece of advice that you would give to to leaders or people who are aspiring to be leaders or those looking for a for a bigger role in an organization? Because you know, you've you've stepped up over the last 15 years or so into you know some pretty big leadership roles. Give the benefit um, of your wisdom on Yeah. On I'd like to say I can boil this down into one, but maybe if you'll permit me, I've probably got two, if I can share two thoughts. And I use this, I've been fortunate that a former colleague of mine is now um, teaching a, a university up in Boston and occasionally has me in to try and impart some wisdom on some undergrad students. So it's been, it's, uh, that's been a great experience as well. But, and I, and I talk about leadership in that, I talk about sales leadership in, in that presentation that I give. And, and two of the things that I constantly come back to, and I'll touch on those if I may, one is thinking about the shadow that you cast as a leader. And, and this is a very specific example that a, a former boss talked about to me one time, and he was talking about another individual within the broader team. And he, and he was like, if I close my eyes and listen to the words that are coming out of that individual's mouth, they are absolutely golden, very insightful very accurate, very forward-looking, just great answers. But if I open my eyes, that person, just their personality, right, is 
they are lent so far back in their chair, they're almost sliding off it kind of thing. And they don't look like they care, right? The brain is working and their words are great, but to some extent, some of the shadow that they are casting within that moment is like, not everyone's going to hear the really insightful stuff. They're just going to look at this guy who looks like he's about to nap and go, well, that's not a good leader. I'm not going to listen to him. So I think as a leader, thinking about that shadow that you cast, it yes, there's one micro example you know, that I touched on there, but also in terms of the other things that we've talked about today, like when you are doing a number of these things, when you are giving feedback, receiving feedback, whatever it might be, giving the rallying cry, right? Or, or giving bad feedback to the broader group, what is the shadow that you're casting? And I think that's a really fascinating visual way to think about, you know, some of the things within being an inspiring leader is like when you've got something to say, how are you showing up when you, when you say it? And the other bit that I, I always write on one of my slides when I'm doing this, uh, you know, lecture presentation, whatever you want to call it is I always have on the slide, leadership is a privilege, not something you get to play with because you got promoted. I, I enjoyed the, the pause after that because I imagine you probably use that to great effect with the uh, the students at, at the university as well. Is that, yeah, I think leadership is a privilege. I agree with you completely. And how you show up as a leader, how you demonstrate yourself as a leader. I, I love the, the, the shadow casting and how you show up. Well, again, I'm, those two, I think I'll let you off with, with, with the two because they, they were both gold dust. Um, it's just as and, always. And I'm hope, hoping that those, the people that are listening to this acknowledge those two points because it is a privilege. Leadership is not something to be taken for granted. And just be careful of the, the shadow that you cast. I think that's great. You've, you've covered off loads of amazing areas. I would say, Dan, that you'd probably acknowledge that you've come a long way from the little red van. I thought I could achieve really and that and that's down to it's genuinely genuinely like if I think about my life growing up right child of a military family right 10x more than I ever thought I could achieve and you know obviously a big chunk of that is down to me yeah and a big chunk is down to the people that have helped me along the way which has been the ability to build relationships with people yeah well I, I certainly think you know, if people listen to this, they should dream big because starting there are probably lots of people to use the little red van analogies that a lot of people right now might be listening to this and they're still in that little red van. But that doesn't mean that you can't be at the top echelons of, of industry unless you if you demonstrate some of the, the behaviours that we've talked about today. Is there anything else? I gave you two. Is there anything else? Or no, no. I, I um, maybe one more. Um, Go on. Which is very American. Which is a very Americanism. Is please, please, please don't ever throw your team under the bus in public. <laughs> I don't know. You've obviously got a specific thing in mind when you when you say that, and uh, we'll we'll save that for another time. Um, it leads me to to just wrap up by saying thank you very much i i can't thank you enough for for taking part and and contributing to this podcast uh, your insights certainly from a cultural point of view going through to to how you 
you've managed your teams and 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 how you continue to manage your teams and the the principles that you've talked about about being human creating those relationships thinking about the shadow that you cast and and taking leadership as being a privilege if if anybody's making notes from these podcasts they're the things that they should take away and and work upon for sure so thank you again dan it's been an absolute pleasure and send my best to your family and i hope that you have continued success and who knows maybe in a, a year's time we we revisit and and talk about sport i know that we we both have a passion for for golf we can have another discussion about who's the best football team ever and um and 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 take it from there and now that you're a us citizen we can probably have a good argument about the Ryder Cup as well. European fan on that one, but thank you, Ian. It's been uh, great to reconnect and thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. Well, thank you, Dan, and, and, and you take care. Thanks. You've been listening to the Ian Baker Leadership Podcast, and I personally thank you for listening. It would do me a great favour if you would review, share, or even like this podcast. Please look out for future episodes, as I've got some amazing more guests to come. If you'd like to know more about my leadership programs and my coaching sessions, then please visit www.ianbakerconsultancy.co.uk. Thank you again for listening and take care.